In American society, money is a taboo topic. We're taught at a young age it's improper to talk about it, but we're also bombarded with messages about the power and importance of money in our everyday lives. And by not talking about it, we miss out on the skills and lessons we need to effectively understand and financially plan. That changes today. Welcome to Money Tales. Hosted by Sandy Brager and Cami Doder, Money Tales brings more than 35 years of combined professional experience in personal finance to demystify money and demonstrate what it's like to speak openly about personal financial matters. Join us each episode as they interview modern-day movers and shakers about how money decisions intertwine with their daily lives in order to give you better insight into productive financial conversations. Subscribe today and register for our blog, Fathom, at Asperient.com slash podcasts to increase your money mojo. And now, here's Cami and Sandy. Hi, this is Cami. Lisa Sky joins us this week on Money Tales. At age 26, Lisa's dad was killed in a car crash. Her father was the most important person in her life, and she still misses him dearly. For Lisa, this period was bittersweet. She inherited significant assets that impacted the course of her life, yet Lisa was overwhelmed with emotions and responsibilities because there was so much to sort out. Her parents had been divorced, and her younger brother needed her to manage the estate. Related, Lisa felt responsibility for the livelihood and future of the 25 employees who worked in her father's business. This experience propelled Lisa's financial maturity and a journey of self-love, both of which continue to serve her today. Lisa has raised significant startup funding, negotiated multi-million dollar leases, and invented a wellness category within co-working. Lisa was the number two hire at WeWork. She left 18 months later to avoid a non-compete that was in her view too long. She went on to found and build Primary, New York City's coolest new wellness-focused co-working space, which quickly expanded to two locations in Manhattan. Today, Lisa brings her expertise to entrepreneurs, especially female founders, as CEO of Sky Advisory. She advises her clients on business strategy, growth, partnership, and fundraising. Hi, this is Sandy. Here are three key money tail conversation topics Lisa hits on in this conversation. First, what it was like to inherit money as a young adult and realize that life can end quickly. Second, why for Lisa, life is not about being fearless. It's about embracing fear, acknowledging it, then putting it on a shelf and moving forward. Lisa shares a then what exercise she uses to address fear. And third, how she successfully navigated one of her companies through chapter 11 bankruptcy. According to Lisa, only 25% make it all the way through the process. So this was quite a feat. We hope you share this episode with a friend and please subscribe to Money Tales on your favorite podcast platform. Now, on to our conversation with Lisa Sky. Hello, Money Tales listeners. This is Cami. I'm here with Sandy, my co host. Hi, Cami. I am dying to know how is your home office improvement project coming along? Thanks, Sandy, for asking. And it's a perfect question for our guest today who knows a thing or two about workspaces. As you know, we converted this box outside of our garage into two offices for my husband and I. Just that in itself was so important after we'd spent a year and a half sharing this box working during the global pandemic. So it's been fantastic. He's on one side, I'm on another. We can have conversations and not drive each other nuts. Are you actually talking through the wall? <laughs> we do. One time we talked about putting in one of those, the takeout window. You could slide it open and be like, hey, how was that meeting? <laughs> we didn't do it. 
But I wanted to share a recent investment I made in a stand-up desk. My hips have been hurting. We spent a lot of time sitting. I agonized over this decision around, do I really even need it? I could just stand and I would stand in meetings and tilt the camera. And I thought, why in the world am I fighting this? We have it at the office in San Francisco. I spend so much time in this home office, make the investment. Was it money holding you back from the decision? It was. And sometimes I overprocess what's the right thing. I'm looking for the right answers, but it was more like find the desk. It's going to work for you. Make the investment. And guess what? I'm so thrilled. That's awesome. Without further ado, I'd like to welcome our guest today, Lisa Skye. Welcome to Money Tales. Hi, ladies. Nice to be here. It's great to have you. (laughs) Would you please introduce yourself and provide a couple pivotal moments that impacted you, making you the person you are today? My name is Lisa Skye. I am an original Floridian, born and raised in West Palm Beach. I bought a one-way ticket to New York City when I was 21. I'm 45 now. Moved back to Miami Beach just a year ago. So I spent over 20 years in New York City working in restaurants. I worked in television briefly and then different sides of real estate for the last 15 years. And most notably, I was the second employee at a company called WeWork, which inspired the trajectory of my career to launch my own shared office space business called Primary, which I did with two co-founders. It still exists six years later in Lower Manhattan. The financial district is a fully furnished turnkey month-to-month office space solution for people where we have an on-site studio where we host yoga, meditation, boot camp classes. We called it primary because we believe that if you make your primary focus yourself, your body, your well-being, everything in your life, including your business, can thrive. Getting through the pandemic, the business survived. I have officially stepped out of the CEO role and relaxed, take care of myself a little bit here the last six months. And I'm just launching Sky Advisory, which is an advisement business working with women, especially, but all entrepreneurs and advising them on business strategy, growth, partnership, and fundraising expertise that I bring to the table as a result of all of my years of experience. And I'm also a mom to two little boys, Henry and Hawk, who are four and six. It's a lot of money in those pivotal moments, some coming in and some coming out with the kiddos. Yeah. We'll dive into all that, but let's go back to your roots. And if you would share a little bit about how you were raised, how money was handled in your home, tell us a little bit about that. My parents divorced when I was 10 and my brother was seven. The reason my mom decided to leave my dad was because she didn't want to work around the house all the time and be working all the time. My dad was a workaholic. He owned his own company, which he started a few months after I was born, and it still exists almost 45 years later, though he passed 18 years ago on Valentine's Day 2004. The company went on. It's an urban planning landscape architecture firm. My mom helped him start it and then started doing other things herself when she left my dad. He worked all day and came home and would work all night. And how this relates to money is because he was working to earn, to save, always budgeting on their honeymoon. I believe he tracked every dollar of every mile that they traveled and kept a little line by line log of that. And I think my mom just wanted to relax and enjoy her weekend sometimes, go to a green market or festival or whatever it was. My dad was the saver. My mom was the sender. Tell us what lessons you took away from your parents having very diverse relationships with money. It's such an interesting question because my situation is unique and not unique. There are a lot of people who have inheritance money that comes to them because of loss. 
And my dad's sudden death in 2004 resulted in my younger brother and I benefiting from the value of his estate. So I inherited cash in real estate. At this point in my life, I have more money than my mother has. And it occurs to me regularly that if she's going to live another 25 years, which I want her to live to be 100, at some point here, my brother and I are the ones financially likely taking care of her if we want her to be very comfortable. Though as she's gotten older, she has certainly learned to watch her money here as she'll say, brew your coffee at home. Don't always buy it out. Bring a water bottle with you. Not only is it good for the environment, but it saves you money. Cluster your trips when you go out, especially with gas prices so high as they are right now, $5 a gallon. Not only is that good for the environment, it also saves money. I'll never forget just before my dad died, I had credit card debt and my dad was giving me a talk about it. And he said, you know, you have to remember to live within your means. You have to save more than you spend. And I said to him, I don't know, dad, I just have this intuitive feeling that I'm always going to be okay. And then he died within the year after that. And I inherited a lot of cash, as I said, assets, and I was able to pay off the debt, no problem, and pay the estate taxes, no problem. And I am very grateful. My mom raised me to be very thankful. I love that saying that if there's one prayer you say for the rest of your life, it's two words, thank you. I'm very thankful. I was raised that way by my mom. And I really look at my father's sudden death as a huge bittersweet. He was the most important person in my life. And it's bitter. I miss him all the time. But it was sweet because not only have I been taken care of, I feel financially the last 18 years, though also through some choices of my own, some good investments, some neutral investments, some not good investments. But it also propelled me into a journey of self-love, recognizing that life can be gone like this. So how do I want to show up? How do I want to be today? A lot of lessons. I lean more certainly towards my mom's camp in being a spender. I think part of that is, again, life can be gone like this. So you can't take all the money with you. So why not treat your friends, have experiences? I bought myself a Chanel bag when I turned 35 and was in Paris with a girlfriend, but I'm not typically a label designer type person. I'd rather spend my money on experiences, travel, fun memories for myself, my friends, my kids, etc. I'll add here that real estate has been an interesting part of my money journey because when my dad died in that year afterwards, well, in 2004, I started looking for apartments in New York City. I thought, okay, I'm going to stay here, right? I want to buy something. And I said, oh my God, a half a million dollars for 500 square feet in Manhattan. Where is that Brooklyn place? I guess I'm going to go look there. I get on the subway. And I found this beautiful luxury condo loft apartment. I crunched the numbers. There was a 15-year tax abatement. It seemed like it was going to be a good investment also. And it turned out to double the value in 16 years. Once I started having a mortgage, and then I bought a studio in Portland, Oregon, and I had my dad's house in Florida, everywhere that I would go to a boutique or a store and look in the window, I would see mortgage payments. It did help me actually refrain from spending because I knew that I needed to pay my bills, my big girl bills, if you will. I want to go back to that bittersweet time when your dad suddenly died and you're a young adult. Did he do any planning and had you guys had any conversations to help prepare you in case an untimely event such as that occurred? No, we used to go to the Bahamas in the summertime. Being a Floridian, we had a little boat that we'd take over to the Bahamas in the summer and leave it there and we'd fly back and forth and shack, not fancy style. 
was really fun spearing lobsters and fish in the summer. My dad always said, oh, if I ever die, I want to be spread here on Lone Rock Reef. So the only thing my brother and I really knew when our dad died is where he wanted to have his ashes spread. He was not a life insurance guy. His life insurance policy was, I think, $137,000. It was doubled because it was accidental death and dismemberment. He was hit and killed by a drunk driver on Valentine's Day in Australia, a guy from Georgia driving on the wrong side of the road incredibly tragic and poetic, doing something he loved in one of the most beautiful places on the planet. That doubled didn't even cover the estate taxes. Big picture, it's a blessing that the estate was larger and there was enough cash in the bank, value in his business, value in the real estate that he owned that we were able to cover the expenses of the taxes, et cetera, which a lot of people are not fortunate enough to be in that position, but he didn't plan to die. It was intense. I remember I was 26, my brother was 23. My brother said, I just got my life going in Austin. He had just moved there. I don't want to be handling all this. I want to go back to my good life. I said, don't worry, I will handle a lot of this. And I remember sitting in my dad's house with 20 piles across the living room of all the different bank and investment accounts. I felt completely overwhelmed and I had waves of my best friends flying in, coming in to help me to just feel emotionally supported by the overwhelm of everything I had become responsible for. We inherited 70% of his urban planning firm that had 25 employees. So I felt responsible for their livelihood and future and simultaneously dealing with the sadness of the loss of my father. It's intense. Grieving and dealing. That's unbelievable. It was a lot at 26, for sure. I feel like when I turned 30, I've been 30 already (laughs) for a few years. You got your graduate degree and your PhD. Yeah. My therapist said, go get a pail and a bucket and go to the beach and remember to let your inner child come out because you really had to do a lot of adulting. When you get thrust into these big financial responsibilities, it's a big deal. Tell us about WeWork. What a fascinating story. You being employee number two, how do you join a firm being employee number two? Is this a money decision or is it a passion decision? Tell us where you were at that time. I had no idea that I would be part of this thing that became a behemoth unicorn globally recognized when I became a part of it. But in 2010, in January, I was leading a networking group in an organization called BNI, stands for Business Network International. I was in the mortgage seat. I had been originating loans for the previous three, four years. You know, This was a few years past the 2008 financial crisis, and I was done with mortgages, ready for a change. I went into my networking meeting that morning, and I said, I'm opening the mortgage seat. I don't know what I'm going to do next, but I'm the president of the chapter, so I'm not going to leave you all. And I'm just going to lean into my community and let you know that I previously anchored a TV show. I would be a great brand ambassador. I worked in restaurants, so hospitality is part of my expertise. I want to do something that lights me up. I'm open to ideas. Well, that day, the financial advisor in the group brought a guest who brought Adam Newman as his guest. And 20 minutes after the meeting ended, we were chatting. He said, oh, I might need a mortgage. I said, I don't know if you heard me. I'm opening a mortgage seat. He said, what are you going to do next? I said, I don't know. He said, you can just not work. And I said, I've got a few bucks in the bank so I can take some time to figure out what I want to do next. Something that really inspires me and lights me up. He said, I have this building down in Soho, this thing called WeWork. I'm starting. You should check it out. I went a few hours later, met with him for an hour. Two days later on Friday, I met with him and Miguel for three hours and seven o'clock that night. Adam walked me down to the street and said, we want you to start on Monday. We want to open 17 offices in three weeks and we want to be full with a wait list. We can pay you $70,000. We're going to pay you cash under the table. Do you accept? And I said, let me think about it. I haven't even talked to my partner in the mortgage business. 
And I called my partner on Sunday and he said, you've been hating the mortgage business for a while. You should go do it. And so Monday morning, I started as their second employee after Miguel's brother, Kyle. It was an incredible ride for the next 14 months that I was with them. I opened the first two locations in New York City and was founding community manager, responsible for sales, tours, billing, booking, janitor, IT. You know, I put all the frosting on the glass of the offices on the third floor in their 34th Street location with my intern on a Sunday. And it was an incredible experience. And where money comes into the equation, I left because they were giving out employment contracts that had an 18-month non-compete, and I wasn't willing to sign the 18-month non-compete. I said I'd sign if it was six months, but not 18 months. I had a cookbook for charity that got picked up by an international publisher at that point called I Love Corn. (laughs) You can buy it on Amazon. It's for charity. I decided to leave to work on the manuscript because it would take me a lot of time to do, which it did. And so I left. But I did have conversations with Adam twice in the five years after I left about potentially coming back. And the second time was in January of 2015. They were valued at $12 billion at that point. I certainly have reflected on what my life would have been like if I would have gone back because they didn't start giving out stock options until about four years in. And it was to those employees who had been there since the beginning. So I never had shares in the business. Definitely when I went back to Adam then in that conversation, I said, God, what would this be like? I'm sure I would have negotiated shares. I would think as a founding employee coming back, I probably would have financially benefited well, despite everything that happened, but it's water under the bridge at this point. So, There's some really interesting kernels in that story you just shared. You had it with a mortgage life. You wanted to do something different and you channeled all of your skills and put out there what you were up for. Immediately, an opportunity presented itself as you took which is so amazing. And I think there is a lot of wisdom for our listeners in that because sometimes all it takes is that intention of, I want to do something different and thinking through all the different skill sets that we have mastered in our career lives, in our lives in general. And then the part of the story where you left because of the non-compete, it sounds like you were really reflecting on your values and what was really important to you and wanting to own your time and decisions you were making. It was a tough decision. It's funny you're highlighting that because there's actually a book coming out in December. My friend, Scott Simon, who I met on LinkedIn after he saw me in the Hulu documentary on WeWork, went to connect with me on LinkedIn. And I thought, oh, he's kind of cute. I told him that I said that. So it's okay if I share that with you here too. (laughs) And I noticed that he was in commercial real estate because I got to the point after the Hulu documentary came out, so many people were trying to connect with me that I said, I only want to connect with women or people who are strategic. I like to know who I'm connected with on LinkedIn. So I have a meaningful network. I noticed he was in commercial real estate, but he also had a certificate in positive psychology, which I just did a nine-month positive psychology course also to get a certificate in applied positive psychology. I accepted his request and I reached out to him. Well, it turned out that as a result of his positive psychology education, he created this community called Scare Your Soul, where people do things to get outside their comfort zone. And he just wrote a book called Scare Your Soul. And he asked me to be one of the people to write something for the book where I talk about moments that scared me. And I wrote about the decision to leave WeWork and the decision to not accept Adam's request to come back in 2015 and rather to go start my own company, both of which were very difficult, also financial implication type decisions. Tell us more about how the financial part weighed in each of those decisions. Well, leaving, I knew I was going to be getting an advance for the book. And so I had that money. Again, 
I'm fortunate because of my father's death, I had cash in the bank. So I was going to work on the cookbook and I am my father's daughter. I have tried not to be a workaholic, but I have a very strong work ethic, much like my brother does too. And when I set out to do something, I do it and I work hard to achieve it and make it happen. I'm unconventional potentially, which probably makes for a good podcast (laughs) in that I do subscribe to Tim Ferriss's theory that he wrote about in Four Hour Workweek, where he talks about this idea of a mini retirement where people work hard, right? Probably earn, save, and then they retire for three months or a year, a small amount of time compared to the grand scheme of things. And then they start working again. I've had now three times, I'm just ending the third time right now after the last five months of not working a lot, really taking time off where I've done that. I've taken time and the bank account can start to go like this a little bit. And it's an intentional choice knowing that I see the big picture. I do have a strong work ethic. I will start earning again at some point, And I'm okay with using this money as a vehicle for being able to enjoy my life. Because again, going back to the gift of the sudden death, life can be gone like that. So how do I want to spend these days ahead of me? What do you do when you see that bank account going down and you start getting anxious, but you've committed to this time? How do you talk yourself through this? I'm doing it right now. It's probably perfect that we're having this talk right now because I'm in that moment where I'm starting to say to friends of mine, I know that because I'm an entrepreneur, I'm more quote unquote comfortable with running on fumes than most. But I'm certainly getting to a point where I'm in my life. This pursuit of my vision for primary did not go how I expected on many levels. I've ended up divorced is one byproduct that was just finalized last month. We both ended up putting a lot of money into our life, paid ourselves less than we probably should have in pursuit of achieving this dream. It's certainly been a point of contention and difficulty in our marriage and now divorce that then was massively impacted by the global pandemic. Our revenues went to 25% of what they were. And I filed chapter 11 to restructure the business as a strategy because I had to. We had to renegotiate terms with the landlord and with the shareholders. And I was wiped out of the business and have been brought back in by the new or previously existing senior shareholders as a minority stakeholder. But it has been a difficult financial journey to say the least. I do have the good luck or good fortune that I bought this apartment up in New York 16 years ago that has appreciated in value. And so in my head, I've said to myself, well, I can always sell the apartment, which I'm actually in the process of doing right now, because it happens to also be a great time to sell. And in the meantime, I've just always kept in mind the big picture. I'm way too connected, resourceful. People want to work with me. I bring a lot of value. So if I needed to go get a job at Lululemon, I could do that, but I'm not there. There's this thing that I learned in this personal development course that I took 15 years ago called Landmark, Landmark Education. They do this exercise, it's called the then what exercise. And you take yourself through your fears and you can do this with all of your financial questions that you're asking yourself and contemplative decision-making that you're going through in life. If I choose to do this and then what, and then what, and then what would happen? And then what would happen? And then I take myself all the way through to the, and then I'm in a cardboard box on the street with my two children. And it's never going to get to that is the reality, right? I'll go live with my uncle. It's never going to get to that. And so take it and say, okay, it's almost like fear. They have that statue in New York, the fearless girl. 
And I took a photo of her and I put her up on Instagram and I said, you know, I've never subscribed to this word fearless. We're never fearless. There is fear and embracing it and saying, hello again today, fear. And now I'm putting you in a box and I'm putting you on the shelf and I'm acting anyway and moving forward. That's how I try to approach decision-making as it relates to finances also. I want to go back to some of these other challenging financial moments in your life. Going through chapter 11 in the midst of a divorce, tell us about the fear factor there and putting it in a box. Chapter 11 inherently means there's attorneys involved. This journey of primary launching my own business really propelled me into so many learnings. It really felt like getting my master's degree in business. But the first time a couple of years after launching the business, maybe two years into primary, we were expanding, running out of money. My seed investor was not able to fund at the cadence at which I expected. We were falling behind on rent. I had personally guaranteed the lease. The landlord served me with a lawsuit for $2 million personally. I've had small dealings with attorneys up to that point in my life, things related to my dad's death, the estate and real estate purchases and transactions. But here was my landlord suing me personally for $2 million. What I did is I leaned into mentors and advisors in my life to, again, almost go through this and then what and then what exercise. A lot of times lawsuits are a way that people want to scare you into getting what they want. So what are the realities of how this transpires or pans out? And attorneys can certainly help to talk you through that. So can mentors, friends, people in your life who've been through similar chapter 11 or what have you. Filing the chapter 11, I don't want to say it was no big deal, but it was necessary. There was chapter 7, which is dissolve the company, or chapter 11, which is restructure. I was also told that chapter 11, only 25% of companies actually make it all the way through the chapter 11, where they can get all parties involved to agree to be able to carry the business forward or raise more money to be able to fund the business forward, which is what we did. I feel extraordinarily lucky that, again, my vision and dream was able to go forward and that that's part of the narrative of the story and how it's unfolded. But there was a lot of difficult moments along the way. So many learnings and stories here. Sidebar, I'm a woman, so I have a cycle, right, at monthly. And at one point, my cycle was lasting for weeks. And it was at a point where we were out of money and I needed to raise millions of dollars. And I went to two different gynecologists and they both said, your uterus and ovaries look amazing, so healthy. And I said, I know, I'm so healthy. I'm one of the healthiest people you'll ever meet. I almost never get sick. And I know it's stress. And you know what? A couple months later, I closed $3 million in funding. Boom, back to a 28-day cycle. Money can really be the cause of a lot of strife and angst and sickness, dis-ease, right? Disease in our life. This is where people in my life, we have a laugh, people who know me because they said, why are you taking a positive psychology course? You're one of the most positive people I know. And I say, right, well, I just need to keep being more positive. But really, it's because people come to me over the years and say, well, how can you be so positive? And it started with my mother and my upbringing. You shared with us that you're focused on how do you want to show up and be today? Would you describe how you want to show up and be today? Who I am is inspiration in the world. And I discovered that through some of the personal development coursework that I've done over the last 
10, 15 years of my life, mostly since my father died. In the years after my dad died, I found myself stuck and in a rut. Whether it's a death, a divorce, business not going the way, your body, your weight, there's so many things that can get us down. We have to say to ourselves, how do I want to be in life as a result of this situation that I'm in, my circumstances? I realized that what happened is my dad died and I was making it mean that I can't have an extraordinary life anymore because he's never here. I was collapsing the two together. And when I learned that tool, being able to pull them apart to say, what happened is my dad died. And it doesn't mean that I can't have an extraordinary life. I was able to step into that notion. I will always have the sadness. I will always have the pain, the longing, the missing I could get emotional talking about it right now, especially through the difficult things I've been through the last six years with my children and the divorce and the business and pandemic. What I'm committed to is having an extraordinary life. That's what I mean when I say every day I wake up in the morning and I get to choose who I'm going to be, how I'm going to be, how I'm going to treat the people around me, how they're going to perceive me. I'm going to lean into life. I want to have an amazing next 55 years. My life's not even halfway over. I like to look at it that way. What am I going to do with it? What's your next money conversation going to be? And who's it going to be with? With me launching Sky Advisory, it's going to be with my clients. And are you ready to pay me? (laughs) I've been giving advice and mentoring for a decade, you know, and just charging for it. So now I'm officially creating a career around this with my clients and with my CPA about tax implications of my sale of my apartment in New York and some general budgeting with my ex-husband for our children. Those are my next conversations. <laughs> Lisa, thank you very much for joining us on Money Tales and sharing these stories with the pain that you've gone through, the growth, your commitment to having an extraordinary life, it shines through. So thank you for sharing. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to the Money Tales podcast. If you've enjoyed this episode, share it with someone you think would benefit from listening and leave us a review on your favorite podcasting platform. Your ratings and reviews help more people find our podcast. If you're inspired to gain clarity and peace of mind about financial matters, don't hesitate to reach out to our team at Asperient. Go to asperient.com forward slash start a dialogue. Or you can email Sandy and me at podcasts at See you next time.